Welcome to the Happy Pill Podcast. I'm Ursula Yerdun. In each episode, you're going to hear me share my story while offering information and resources while you continue on your journey of surpassing the effects of abuse and depression. I'm going to be doing some interviews with some very special guests who are going to share their journey and processes because my way is not the only way of healing. And the more information we have, the more we can share with one another. My hope is that you find love, inspiration, and purpose for your life. So let's get started. So yeah, guess what? Today I want to tell my story of the catfishing experience that I had had uh, quite a number of years ago. And it was a terrible experience, you know, those things are never quite fun. And and just how it became one of the greatest gifts to my awakening while also deepening my healing journey. So that's kind of cool, painful and shitty, but cool. Sure, let's go with it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm not going to get into every detail because, oh my God, this podcast would last, I don't know, three months. <laughs> Who the hell wants to listen to a podcast for three months? Um, well, at least one episode. You, Of course, I want you coming back month after month anyway. So I'm not going to kind of get into all the nitty gritty stuff and hopefully, oh shit, I don't know. Sometimes when I get talking, I just start talking and blah, 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 blah. You may have figured that out by now. So you're going to hear me expand on my journey that's going to include awakening into the spiritual gifts of intuition, being an empath and speaking with my angels. And I haven't talked about that in my in my previous episode. So you're now going to hear me mention those things. Yay. And if you're not into that, if you're not into intuition or maybe the spiritual aspect of things or angels, perhaps you can just keep an open mind um, about that. And what I'm really talking about is the experience of the catfishing and how that really triggered a lot of my my childhood issues and what came about from that. The spiritual aspect is one thing, but really it's kind of the journey that's that's the second one. So I hope you pay attention and listen to that and just, yeah, keep an open mind. So I can't tell the catfishing story without also talking about the spiritual aspect. All right, let's get started. You know how this works, people. So for those who don't know what catfishing is, here's a brief online explanation. It's a kind of online deception wherein a person creates a presence in the social networks as a sock puppet of a fictional online persona for the purpose of luring someone into a relationship, a usually romantic one sometimes in order to get money or gifts or attention. So if you didn't know what that is, now you know. So in my situation, it wasn't about the money, which was good. And it wasn't a romantic relationship. It was more of a friendship and an emotional connection to this person. So this started happening around in late 2013 and into 2014, where I met via Twitter, good Lord, Twitter, um, a gal who called herself Taylor. Now, I'm going to continue to use this name because truthfully, I actually don't know if this is now her real name or not. And... Geez, is she even a she? Yeah, I, honestly, I do feel like she's still a she. But anyway, so if this is her real name or not, I don't know. So I'm just going to keep calling her Taylor because that was the name she used. All right. So we had similar interests in a lot of sporting events and we were fangirling over the same female athletes that we admired in various sports, but most notably soccer and hockey, you know, at least the sports that women get recognized in. Good Lord, that's another that's another story altogether. So when she followed me on Twitter, I did basically what everybody does. 
I looked into her list. I, at least I did. I looked into who, who was following her and then I followed back. And to my surprise, she actually had a few members of our national sports teams that were following her, our Canadian national sports teams. And not just from one sport, but it was it was in multiple sports. And I was shocked. I was like, oh, wow, like she must be well known, you know, like and why would a gal like her, you know, want to follow someone like me? Right. So here, here's my insecurities already, especially if she's so close to these professional athletes. I'm just like I'm just a, you know, I'm just a, like a little person. I'm kind of like a nobody. Right. And so I, that's what I thought. I thought, why would you want to follow me? Here is an insecurity factor thinking and believing that I'm not good enough compared to somebody else. And that's just from reading her bio, like honestly, just from reading her little, little blip blip on top there. And this already left me feeling insecure as a depressed and overweight person. So I hid behind the backdrop of social media. Wow, nobody else does that. <laughs> of course we all do that. So over the course of a few weeks, we were DMing. And if you're not into the social media work, DMing means direct messaging. And so when you follow each other, you can send just personal messages back and forth. And during this time when we were just kind of getting to know each other, she opened up and explained that, yes, indeed, she knew these athletes for quite a while. She had played sports with them and up until a knee injury was actually quite close to them. So why would I invalidate her? I could see it was clear as day that they were following her with this, you know, the legitimate blue check mark, right? Uh, <laughs> bing. Yeah, so if they've got the legitimate blue check mark, why would I doubt it? Why would I doubt that she was lying and why these people were following her? So we continued to chat away until there was one athlete in particular that Taylor was very fond of and talked about most often, and she wanted to tell me something that was a secret. Hmm. So I'd barely known her via the social media. You know, she was living in Vancouver. I was living in Calgary. And this was the first ping of a red flag that said, and I, and I told her this and I, I said, what? You don't even know me. Like, how do you know that you can even trust me? And really, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of a secret? You know, keeping a secret is to keep, keep it private. I don't know why I'm whispering, but that's just kind of what it feels like when you keep it a secret. You should whisper. <laughs> okay, so... Now, of course, I lost my faith in myself because of who I am, and she said that she had a good feeling about me and was just desperate to share this story. And so, okay. Anyway, I, I said, okay. And then Taylor told me that she was indeed dating one of the members of our national sports teams. And this was my second flag right there. And th this one was much bigger. And I instantly thought, nope, that's not true. And so this instinct, this, this red flag felt a lot bigger. And I thought, no, no, that's not true. But because I was already so insecure about myself, this was, this was me pre-knowing about the rapes. So this was, you know, there's a, a span of a few years in there. And the fact that she had multiple athletes from multiple sp sports following her, I was doubting myself. I thought, well, why would she lie? So yeah, so anyway, my instinct told me that it was a lie. But I very much trust people when they are telling their truths. So I chose to believe her. So I'm contradicting my stomach already. And how she manipulated me was to use things from this athlete as her own. And one thing that happened that got me pulled into believing more of this story and this now relationship that she was, uh, she was in was that this pro athlete replied to one of my tweets once. So... Yeah, that was like 
kind of totally cool and I was totally shocked about it. And I had sent out a tweet to support this athlete in a project that she had coming up. And as a fan, of course, I wanted to do this. I mean, you know, we we love lots of celebrities and, and you know, we retweet. That's a tricky word to say. Um, you know, people that we're following, we're inspired by them, we're encouraged by them. So of course, we're going to we're going to share this info. And that's what I did. And so she responded to me saying how grateful she was for my support in the context of her project. Now, what Taylor did is that she had told me already that she talked to this so-called girlfriend and informed her girlfriend that I knew about them dating. So this is the secret. And her girlfriend was supportive of that. So girlfriend supports that I know about their relationship. And so what Taylor had done is she was manipulating the word support. She messaged me linking her girlfriend's message of support to mean that that was some kind of code that I knew about the two of them. So Taylor made it sound like her girlfriend was giving me this hidden code of support. Oh, Ursula, thank you for your support in this project. But Taylor twisted it and went, oh, it, the support is for the relationship. And thereby letting me know that she was grateful for my support and keeping things silenced about their relationship. Of course, this would end up turning out to be a complete fabrication. Uh, and again, so there's a hindsight moment, keeping secrets. Yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of a precursor if someone's asking you to keep secrets that something dishonest is probably going on. And what kept me going was that I did not know or Taylor had explained that this athlete was not an out athlete. She didn't want to go public with the relationship because the sexuality of the girlfriend was not yet common knowledge, right? And this could affect her chances for sponsorship and funding. And this Honestly, this is absolutely makes sense for me. There is a lot of professional athletes and artists and musicians and whatnot that do not come out about their sexuality because it could affect their career. It could affect funding and resources that come their way. So this, this is actually legitimate and it makes total sense to me. So I understood that and I never said anything. And it's not my place to say anything anyway. And truthfully, I didn't care. I cared more about my friendship to Taylor than outing somebody that I didn't even know. And I wouldn't out somebody anyway. I'm also not the kind of person who goes into a Google search and goes into great depths into looking for personal information about someone. It doesn't matter if they're a celebrity, an athlete, an artist, or whatnot. I mean, if I'm curious enough, I'll just do a simple Google search, you know, or sometimes a Wikipedia search if I'm interested in something or someone. But I never dug into the scopes and depth of the depths, not depths, the depths of personal lives of people. That's just not my jam honestly. And, and I'm not that good with technology. I'm actually kind of shitty with technology. So Taylor continued to weave this tale of how their lives were going, how their relationships were going, all this love telling me all these, you know, intimate details, not, I'm not saying sexual details, but just intimate details of romantic dates and outings and tournaments that were coming up for this athlete and yada, yada, yada. This was when a whirlwind of emails and communication happened over the next few months and usually around her relationship. And we would spend hours just kind of talking and emailing back and forth. And a lot of it was was kind of sweet. You know, there were just conversations about life and in general, but a lot of it was also about her relationship. So it wasn't until near Christmas of that year of 2013, a few months later after talking, that things really began to shift. 
Her girlfriend, and I'm, I'm quoting this now, her girlfriend had contacted me via Taylor's Twitter account that Taylor had gotten into an accident and things didn't look so good. So yep, this is the part where you include a desperate fictional traumatic story created to induce sympathy. Yep, it worked. Naturally, there was another ping. Number three. Why is this girlfriend using Taylor's account, Twitter account? Why not just message me herself? If she wanted to DM me, which is direct message me, then go ahead and follow me and message me. Like that kind of makes sense. At least it makes sense in my head. I don't know. Does it make sense to you people? So she said no to me because um, the people that she follows, someone will look into her Twitterverse and know who she follows. And then that gets scrutinized. So, you know, there's some pretty very fanatic people out there, I guess you can say. And those fanatics are, you know, they're going to look into these kind of details. So it's a believable story, especially for someone who is an athlete or celebrity or or something like that. I said, okay, fine. Um, True enough. But then email me and I sent my email and I said all of this, right? Like, if you want to keep it private, you know about us, why not just send me emails? Why are you keep using Twitter? Anyway, So this naturally concerned me and I was worried because Taylor had taken a trip to go back home to the funeral of of her grandfather. And I didn't expect to hear from her much and I'm assuming that her flight got delayed and whatnot and maybe that's why her girlfriend hadn't heard from her and I hadn't heard from her in a few days. It wasn't until one morning that, um, I think it was the next morning actually, that I decided to meditate. And I was just very, very new into meditation, not into, I'm really understanding how this stuff works and whatnot, but it was really surprising because this this meditation made an impact. I saw two people in my mind's eye right away that were not doing very well. And so here is now the spiritual connection starting to come in. The first person that I saw was a, a friend of mine, a person um, that's really close to me that I hadn't seen for a couple of months. And I could see that she was having problems in her pelvic area. And I could see this, which was something I'd never seen before. Like this was, this was totally new to me. The second person I saw in this vision, and let's just call it a vision now, uh, instead of meditation, is that I saw Taylor and it looked like this black oil was, was dripping, dripping out of her. Like it was some kind of life force that was, that was being removed from this body. So it's like I saw the white soul in this black oil dripping out of her. And that was my intuition that kicked in that said that, oh, something, this didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to me. And I honestly had no idea what any of this was because I'd never seen or been aware of these kind of visions before. I mean, I'm a very visual person anyway. And I figured that this was just uh, a form of me being creative. And, okay, so how to explain it? So in my past, I've seen flashes of light. I've had a lightning bolt strike inside my bedroom. I've seen colored bulbs floating around. And I've even seen shots of color zoom out of people's foreheads. And one time I even heard the voice, you know the one I'm talking about, maybe God, (laughs) you know, but I heard the voice one time outside of my body, not inside my head, not, not the rambling that goes inside my brain, but literally the voice outside of my body to give me guidance. Very sporadic all of this was, but it was uncommon to me as I've been opening up my spiritual side for a few years already, and I just took these to be beautiful spiritual phenomenon from my angels. I like to talk with my angels, and I believe in that realm. Anywho, 
So after this meditation, after these visions, I contacted my friend and I said, hey, okay, um, this is going to sound a little weird, but do you have a pain over here in this side of your body by chance? And I gave a few details and she messaged me back saying, oh, interesting, but no. And so I didn't think anything more of it. I was like, it didn't bother me. And, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. I have no idea what I was seeing in my mind. And then she texted me right back and said, that doesn't come until the afternoon. Bam. I, I was stunned. Honestly, I was stunned. So we texted back and forth for a little bit. And I found all of this to be very peculiar, but wonderfully interesting as well. At this point in my life, I was also working with a number of energy healers and intuitives to help me along my healing journey. So that night, I got another message from this girlfriend of Taylor's stating that Taylor had gotten into an accident, that there was a head trauma and, and there was glass in the brain and she was in surgery and they didn't know what was going to happen and yada, 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 yada. I have to say that this actually affected me quite greatly. I was sad that that this was real and that this was happening to my friend because I didn't have a reason to doubt it. Again, nothing significant about the accident. Sure, maybe the ping with her girlfriend messaging me, but not about some kind of accident. I contacted one intuitive um, gal that I'd been working with and doing some healing work with, and I explained everything. And the first thing she said to me was, welcome to your gift. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? What? I, I was so shocked by that answer. Honestly, I, I really was. Now, I've read and heard that children who have been traumatized have a deeper and stronger connection to their intuition. Why does this happen? I've included some information on my blog and on my website there um, that can give you some more information on this. I may do a separate episode on it because it is kind of interesting. So in hearing her tell me that, I felt surprised and I think that surprise was heightened given the circumstances. But she validated what I had witnessed in the meditation and frankly with what had happened with my friend earlier on that morning was also validation. So it's like the vision came to me first for me to trust what I was seeing in my mind. And that's why it came with my friend first before it came with Taylor. So then I talked to one of my other friends who is highly intuitive and she confirmed with me as well that what I saw was accurate. And I explained the accident that Taylor was in. Now this friend in the second intuitive saw something different. She didn't think or feel that it was a car accident, but instead a suicide attempt. And this would be in more alignment with my vision that I had that morning. The first intuitive got that there was trauma at the back of Taylor's head. The second intuitive thought that there was a suicide attempt. So did this actually impact Taylor in her head or not? I don't really know. Taylor's story was always that it was head trauma, that she was in this car accident. You know, the roads were icy. She hit her head on the side of the glass because the car had spun. So on the passenger side window, and then I think either on the dashboard or the front windshield. So this was her explanation of this accident. Now, why would this information be different? You may ask, like if one intuitive saw something and the other one saw something else. And this is not an easy thing to answer. And I'll go into more detail about the difference of receiving spiritual information later and can hopefully shed some light on this. 
As far as the suicide attempt, I would never confirm anything of that sort, and it was not something that Taylor had talked about, although she did share with me that her best friend passed away from suicide. For Taylor, she only talked about her accident, and it wasn't the first time Taylor would talk about suicide. It would come up later on in our friendship about another friend who had committed suicide. So regardless, something was up. Now, over the course of the next few months, Taylor had weaved a very convincing tale of therapy and treatments and surgeries and memory loss, all the while entangling this so-called relationship into her injuries. She talked about how this athlete used Taylor's accident as a reason to come out about her sexuality, the near ending of the relationship and the choices to stay together, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I'll also mention in here as well that Taylor had actually sent me the, um, it was an article when this athlete came out that she had done this interview and this article was out and Taylor literally sent me this article of her so-called girlfriend at the time coming out and that it was because of her and because of the relationship and because of the accident and all of that stuff that that was why her girlfriend had finally come out because she had realized that it was just time and that she was in the wrong, you know, by not being there for her partner in the accident. Um, so although in the article the partner doesn't talk about the accident, This is what Taylor had talked about as like the pre-conversation. Anyway, all of that was a little bit peculiar, but yet again, here's more information. Here's more storytelling. Yeah, I was duped. But what was also happening was the awakening of these gifts. So as I was into the story of Taylor's lies and whatever she was creating, my gifts were also opening up at the same time. And as I had that morning meditation with my friend and Taylor, I had other episodes occur where friends of mine were would come and ask me some things about themselves. They, they had body ailments or they had a very close neighbor that was not doing well. And I would do these sort of meditation type queries, converse with my angels and spirit and kind of do a reading of sorts. I, I guess that's kind of the best way to describe it. I was a very visual person. So if a friend asked me, about something, I would sit and go, okay, uh, let me just look into that, right? I never guaranteed anything and I never promised anything. And I said, whatever information comes through, I said, that's it, that's it. Like it's it's not coming from me. So I don't want to be responsible for that. It's a gift. It's, it's, it's not something that I can control, but it doesn't mean my ego didn't play a factor. So um, when it came to my friends coming to me, I didn't want a lot of information and I would make that clear to them. Don't give me details because I wanted to see what divine information would come to me. This was um, this was me testing of sorts. This was testing myself. So they would give me the basic info needed, and I would do this like visual reading, because I see things visually in my mind's eye. And for each person that had asked, my readings turned out to be accurate. So that's a bit of ego boosting right there, I can't lie. Um, it was empowering. It was satisfying but also a little bit arrogant on my part. And I wouldn't understand that until until a few months later. So while this practicing was happening with me, I was continually pulled into Taylor's now growing story. And I had very vivid dreams about Taylor during this time. So many, and I found it peculiar because I never dreamt of someone so often. And there were very strange dreams. They just felt, oh my God, very surreal. Um, some of them even felt dangerous in a way and peculiar, very alien, foreign. That, that's a, a really good word for it. A lot of them felt foreign. 
I never revealed to Taylor about the depths of the stuff that I was doing with the spiritual connection because she was dealing with her injuries and I was sorting this stuff out. I mean, yeah, I shared some stuff with her because I did find it really fascinating and some of the stuff was certainly about her, so I wanted to share that. And I think a lot of that was to my mistake, honestly. The more I got involved with her story, the more I became argumentative over things that didn't make sense to me. I would become distrustful of this so-called girlfriend because these actions that this girlfriend did just didn't make sense to me or seemed inappropriate as far as how to deal with Taylor and her situation. So an example would be that, okay, so Taylor got into this accident and then the girlfriend goes off to this other country to go do a tournament, you know, with the national team. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, are you serious? Like, if this accident was as serious as it was and as they had claimed it was, why would the girlfriend go off to another country to a tournament? If you love this person so much, would you not want to be by their side? And this was my argument, and I made this argument very clear because none of that shit made sense to me, right? And it started to build up an anger within me towards this athlete, someone that, I, that I'd never met. Like, I was aware of them. I knew who they were because I was a fan of them. But I started to grow angry at this person for doing just shit things to my friend, right? So this was the reactions that was starting to come out. So these red flags continued to show up and it felt disturbing to me because I just didn't want to believe that all of this could be happening, right? I wanted to believe Taylor and I wanted to believe her truth and I wanted to believe that she was really my loyal friend because I honestly didn't believe that she was untrustworthy. This theme would follow me in a few relationships that I had where I would trust people only to only later to find out about their lies and deception. So this Unfortunately, this, this has been a theme for me. Um, but after a few months of this continued story, I decided to head to Vancouver and see what kind of life I could make for myself. Now, I understand this looks convenient. It's like, oh, Ursula, you're going because of Taylor. It was not because of Taylor. I've had this plan in my mind for many years before I ever met Taylor. Could I make it on the coast? Could I find the freedom to write and create and to live in a place that I could perhaps call my home one day? Right. So a lot of people, a lot of my friends, a lot of my family knew that this was always part of my clan, part of my plan. Sorry, not my clan. Um, you know, and yeah, maybe maybe Taylor was in a, some way a catalyst to that. But she was not the reason why I went. I needed to do this for me. Right. And I did. I did do it. So I ended up going to North Vancouver because I really love nature and I wanted to be very close to nature. And I stayed in Deep Cove. And if you've ever been to Deep Cove, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. It's this little tranquil inlet that just seemed so far removed from anything that was like downtown Vancouver. It's a really beautiful place. And I had so much healing happen to me while I was there. I am forever grateful for that beautiful little inlet or peninsula, or harbor, anyway, or cove, because hence it's called Deep Cove. It was really, really beautiful. So being over there, I had attempted a couple of times to meet up with Taylor, but as you can imagine, it was met with an excuse and then a no. And I should also mention at this moment as well that even though she didn't ever meet me in person, she did actually follow me one time. And what happened was 
that um, I was in the Pride Parade with a friend of mine that summer and I was along with her friends and their float and so we were actually walking in the Pride Parade which was a lot of fun, really hot day, can't lie, it was a really hot day but it was a lot of fun, my first time ever doing that and it was awesome and what I discovered afterwards and what I noticed afterwards was that through one of Taylor's sort of characters, shall we say, these personas that she had going on, um, one of them had actually posted a video of me while I was walking in the Pride Parade. Yeah, that was a bit of a shocker. Um, I didn't think of it... Um I didn't think of it as much at first because I thought, well, hey, you know, this is Taylor. I've already been talking to her friends and stuff like that. But of course, when all of this came out, yeah, it kind of hit me in hindsight. Like, holy shit, that's really creepy. Absolutely creepy. So something significant happened to me on June 24th of 2014. And this is where a significant shift as far as my healing was going to happen. A deeper connection to my angels and my own securities that broke me down that day. Now, my desire was to emulate Taylor's life. I sure felt terrible about myself and, and the life that I had created for myself, which was one of the reasons why I chose to ignore the red flags about Taylor. She had a life, or basically she represented a life that I desired. It was fun. It was spontaneous. She was cultured to me. She was free and independent and, and just had lots of friends and lots of activities. And of course, she was beautiful. She was very beautiful. And so she was everything that I wasn't. Or the, And this is how I felt about myself, right? This was how I felt about myself. So I was comparing my piss poor life for her vibrant, cultured, colorful one. And that brought about envy and jealousy within me. That's my truth. That's what it brought about. And lots of things. Insecurity. Because her life reflected back to me dreams that I hadn't fulfilled yet. Like I had missed my life because I was swirling in a negative vortex of depression and sadness that I could never find my way out of. So the better her life got, the shittier my life felt. And this was just my world. Taylor had just become a reflection for it. And it wasn't the only time that I had had this reflection. It's been looking back at me since I was a little girl. Honestly, in every single relationship, in friendship, family, partnership, co-workers, you know, um, former students, right? But Taylor would become this bridge, the link to understanding the depths of my depression and insecurities. So while out on the coast, I had nearly daily conversations with my angels. Some of it was about Taylor and some were about my life and just questions in general. And I had kept journals of these conversations and topics. When it came to Taylor, why didn't they give me the truth of what was really happening? The information I received was certainly along the lines of the stories that Taylor was talking about. But when it came to things about myself and my purpose and how I felt about things that were they were spot on. They were so right on. They always guided me to be more gentle with myself and to keep going. That was a constant statement that was repeated to me. Keep going. And I did. I also got it tattooed on my left wrist because it felt like it belonged to the angels and I. You know, it was like our kind of coding, our wording, my connection to them, which was to keep going. So eventually I got so upset by Taylor and her life 
because it was not my life. I wanted it to be my life, right? So I got upset by her life. And in the wee hours of the morning of June 24th, 2014, coming back to this, I finally had an emotional breakdown. And I lost my shit. I just lost my shit. What had happened was I saw a photo of her that she had posted and it triggered an uncontrollable emotional breakdown and self-loathing that I could not seem to shake. It was the worst self-loathing I had ever experienced in my life. And this was just looking at a picture of her, and which of course is obviously not her, but for those first two hours, I cried in my basement suite rental, littered with insects and spiders. I know, but it was all I could afford at the time. And I cried and I cried and I cried. What was wrong with me? Right? What was wrong with me? I kept asking myself, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? What the fuck is so wrong with me? Why did I have to be so overweight? So sad, so ugly. I should be punished. Even though I didn't know what for. I had no idea what I should be punished for, but I felt I should be punished. I felt so disgusted with myself. Where am I supposed to be? Where do I belong? Why have I never accomplished what I dreamed to do? And on and on and on. And this self-loathing just built and built and built and built. It was incredibly sad. At 5 a.m., I drove to Deep Cove that morning and I continued to cry out there. I needed nature. I needed source. I needed spirit. And I begged the big guy. I begged him, I begged Jesus to help me. And I'm not a religious person, you've heard me say that before, but I do believe that this being did come and live on this planet for a little while to show us a beautiful way to live. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And so I asked him to help me. I kept punishing myself over and over and the messages were clear. It wasn't my fault. This is what he was telling me. This is what my angels were telling me. I hadn't done anything that was unforgivable and yet I couldn't shake the sadness. This immense sadness that had me wrapped in a blanket. I strongly felt that I wanted to die that day. I didn't care anymore. I felt such hopelessness that I just wanted to die and I prayed for it too. I prayed for it. Not by my own hand. That wasn't right for me. I didn't feel that that was right for me. But if something happened to me, if I got hit by a bus or something like that, or if somebody was, I don't know, doing something terrible, I was okay with that. And a part of me welcomed that. That's how deep I got that day. I was just, I was done. There was nothing left for me. But I asked for his help. I begged him to help me and I wanted him to help me. So I saw him. In my mind's eye, I saw him again. I saw him turn really small and he backed, he turned away kind of for me, but he backed his way into my heart and I could see that. And I started to feel a little bit better. And I knew that he was with me because something shifted inside of me. My right ear, which is the masculine side of our bodies, the right side is the masculine side of our bodies. It began to ring it would ring. Oh my God. It was not tinnitus. It was, it was ringing. It's like somebody was calling me. You know what I'm saying? Big guy's coming down. He's like, okay, let's, we're going to have a chat. I'm going to call you. Are you going to pick up? So it was a ringing tone that was so loud and it grew louder the entire day. The longer the day went, the, oh my God, the louder it got. And it lasted the entire day. I have never had that before and I've never had it since. So this is how I knew that something massive was shifting inside of me because I, I'd hit that rock bottom, 
right? I hit that rock bottom. I was ready for something and I had not a fucking clue of how to make it happen, but I was asking. So that's how, that's how something started to shift within me. A new level of healing was taking place. And that day was so significant to me as well because my best friend had shown up that day and sat with me in Deep Cove. I knew, I knew that it was meant to be. As he was there to support me on that spiritual realm, my beautiful soul sister friend came to support me on the physical realm. She could be in my presence. She could give me hugs. She could talk to me. She could hold my hand and offer me a Kleenex. So I was supported that day, I was supported. Because at that time, I thought it was my reaction to her photo, a fake photo, that triggered me, that triggered in me the greatest sadness I ever knew. But I never told her any of this stuff. It, it was too deep, it was for me, it was mine. And this was part of what was happening to me when I got out to Vancouver. That's what Vancouver was for me, a deep, personal healing that only I could have done and I couldn't do it in Calgary. This was a journey I needed to go on my own. I had a couple of friends, or actually they're still out there and I still have some friends out in Vancouver, but it wasn't, I wasn't going there to see them. It, I was going there for, for me and I needed this trip alone and I couldn't do it in Calgary because there was too many people, too many distractions, too many family. I did so much writing while I was on the coast. And it wasn't the creative writing that I thought I was going to do. And I was so stoked before I went. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get my novel done. And I'm going to get these screenplays done. Rah, 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 rah. And me just going raw, raw, raw to myself, right? But it wasn't. It was journaling. It was journaling in the conversations with spirit that I had. That's what I was writing a lot of. And of course, my stuff with Taylor. I was writing a lot about that. Because it was so interlinked. It was shortly after this time that things really began to crumble with Taylor. I wasn't interested in her world so much anymore. So much drama and stories. It was just impossible to believe it all. The car crash, the injuries, the on and on again with her girlfriend, then the suicide of her friend that she said she was there for and the police came there and they thought that she did it. And then she had more surgeries that were coming to repair the damage after the accident and she may lose her memory completely. Oh my God, all this bullshit. And I know that you can probably say there's like, Ursula, how did you not see it? This just already smells of bullshit but I was I was in it I even followed up on things like at the hospital that she talked about when I went there and I talked to like the nursing like um, when I called in for the nursing she wasn't there the name wasn't there and, and they wouldn't even tell me anyway because you know people have the right to turn off their private information which she did and it's like come on she she is all about attention she was all about attention so there was no way that, that she couldn't have done that. And we had talked about this to say, well, let me come over. Let me come and support you. You know, I want to come, you know, and give some flowers and some support and just encourage you and blah, blah, blah. And of course, all of that, all of it was turned down. And so someone going through all of this kind of bullshit, how could they still come out being sane in just a few short buns? I don't think it's possible. <laughs> it certainly didn't seem possible. But what a great epic story, isn't it? I can laugh about this now because it's it's a really good story. Maybe she's actually written about it. I'm not sure. Wouldn't that be interesting? So it was shortly after that time that I returned back to Calgary because it was it was tough to to stay in Vancouver and things didn't turn out as well as I had hoped and I needed to regroup. I don't think I prepared enough. Um, and I don't see it as a bad thing. I was sad that I had to come back because I felt that I had failed. 
I felt that I had failed myself in a way, and it wasn't easy coming back to Calgary. I felt discouraged, you know. Um, I felt terrible with all the stuff that was going on with Taylor. It was really heavy with me, and a lot of it didn't make sense, obviously, because it was still... Uh, too much story, too much drama. And it was a long and difficult summer, and I was completely exhausted. I was so tired, so much healing, so much emotions, very, very exhausted. So no wonder I couldn't find my life out there just yet. My connection to spirit had changed as well. The information I was receiving was no longer clear by the time I was leaving, especially when it came to, came to things with Taylor. I couldn't make sense of it, nor could I trust it. It felt contradictory like in the very beginning like they would give me pristine directions to get to a place I wasn't familiar with you know Vancouver and they would give me the right yep turn left here turn right there yeah go down that road okay everything was accurate everything it was amazing it was beautiful I felt validated but the longer that this journey had gone on the more I became to distrust this information because it wasn't making much sense to me and why was I being told one thing when I felt another so when I came back, literally on the day that I came back to Calgary, I saw my mom and I was telling her about Taylor and the experiences that I had and what was upsetting me and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, still convinced by the story, even though there were still some bullshit moments. And mom kept interrupting me to tell me about some woman with a different name. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I honestly thought my mom was losing it. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, oh. Lordy, Mama, what happened in these three months that I was away? I don't get what's going on. So she then showed me photos of this woman on the internet. And I said, oh, I said, that's Taylor's picture. How did you get that? And she said, no, it's not. It's actually this other person. At first, I couldn't comprehend what she was talking about. This woman in the photos had a blog and and and, and, and a website and some kind of, uh, well, like fashion photos and stuff like that. And mum kept repeating to me that who I knew was Taylor was in fact not Taylor. It was actually this other woman. And mum had told me that it was my good friend, the friend who came out to visit me um, that one day in the summer, had actually found this out right she had she knew something was up she knew something was wrong because I, I was sharing my my stuff with her and so she started to do research research on this Taylor because something didn't feel right to her and she discovered that Taylor was using someone else's identity and claiming it as her own well fuck's sake now I lost my shit I really lost my shit it was terrible like it just shook my world because even if there were senses that Taylor may be lying about stuff, I would have never thought that she literally stole someone else's identity and made this world as her own. So instantly I felt abused all over again. It was instant. I was banging my head against the wall thinking that I was the dumbest fucking person on the planet. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so gullible? And I felt the worst about myself for being such a fucking idiot. And pardon my language, but this was my truth. This is how I was festering and, and, and sitting with crap. And this is a terrible, terrible way to feel about myself and to think about myself. So this was now my mental breakdown you know, that I had just a few months after I had my emotional one. So once again, I'm at rock bottom. So mom called my friend and she came over and she was angry that my mom told me about this right away because she knew I wasn't able to handle the news 
right now, um, especially after all that I had gone through and literally drove back that day, which was like, I don't know, 12 hours. <laughs> it was really, really long drive. And she was right. It was way too soon. I could not handle the information that day. You know, but I don't know. What can I say? I can't change that it happened. And either way, I would, I probably still would have lost my shit. Honestly, I still would, of course, would have lost my shit. It was just, it was a really difficult day. But there were definitely better ways to tell me <laughs> than the way that perhaps my mom did. Um, I, I laugh about it now. It's okay. It's, it's fine. Mom and I have certainly talked about it. I talked about it with my friends. And, you know, we, we kind of joke about it now. But at the moment, it was a little bit difficult. Thanks, Mama. Um... Anyway, a lot of things were happening instantly when I found that out. Um, and it's amazing how time, I don't know, how time just shifts when things are happening momentarily. Like I said, I was banging my head and feeling terrible about myself and, you know, really knocking myself down, feeling like I was the stupidest thing ever. And what I could see in my mind's eye at this time were two large black crystal eggs. And these eggs, they broke up. They broke open and they literally just like cracked wide open and bursts of white crystal light spewed from them. And they broke apart. These eggs literally broke apart. And and I knew, I, I knew it's like that that intuition that something so much higher than me is telling me. And those eggs represented attachment and judgment. And I knew it right away. It would take me a little while to process it, but it made absolute sense to me. Since being a little girl, I had had attachment issues, and this stems from being abandoned and abused. So when someone would offer me love, attention, understanding, and nurturing, I would then attach myself to this person to receive that form of love, because it was so rare to me, right? It, it became a form of addiction. So if someone was going to give that to me, I latched on right away. You know, I don't want to let this person go. So, of course, that leaves me vulnerable to believing anything that they are saying and doing, right? So this, this, was, um, this was a mechanism already established as a little girl. And this wasn't the first time that this had happened to me. This was a pattern that I had repeated in my life, thus giving me very unhealthy relationships and friendships. And this is what I did with Taylor. You know, it, it, it's not easy to kind of admit this stuff, but it, it's, it's my truth. And I was attached to Taylor. I was envious and jealous of her life because it was a life that I wanted for myself and I wasn't getting it. You know, uh, we had wonderful communication exchanges over the month and she was the only person I ever found that was similar to me in many ways. And so here's an example. So when someone sends me an email with questions, um, let's say, I tend to answer every single question in great detail and then I ask more questions. She is the only other person that did the exact same thing. What? You gotta be kidding me. Like it was amazing. It was honestly amazing to know and feel and be in contact with someone that was so cool that did the same thing that was like me, right? So then she would answer all these questions in great detail and then ask me more questions. And so our email streams are strains, strains, streams, letters? Sure, let's go with that. Sure. Anyway, our conversations were really long, but they were very fulfilling. And I never found anyone else like that, like me. And so there were so many ways in that we did connect. And that was one of them. And it meant a lot to me. Our conversations, some of our conversations were very sweet and tender about life and other things that we were passionate about. So I don't believe that everything she wrote was lies. 
I honestly don't believe that at all. I believe, in fact, that she was hurting, and this was one of the ways that she would reach out to find someone who was similar to her. When it came to attachment, it meant I put too much of myself into her life without taking care of my own. Her world was more important than mine. Her life was more important than mine. And this is massive insecurity factors. This is hopelessness. This is severe unworthiness. All of that was heightened to the extreme in this friendship. The judgment I placed on myself was simply cruel. It was cruel. I completely compared my life to hers, thinking that I that this was what I had wanted, that this was what my life should look like. You know, it should look like hers. But because mine looked like mine, it wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. Mine was shit, but hers was everything. The damage I was creating in myself was tremendous, and it was appalling because all I did was crush myself like my abuser, my, like all of my abusers had done. Now, my abuse against myself was harder than what I had experienced. I felt I had abused my gift of connecting to spirit and my angels. I had felt abused by them. And then why would they lie to me? Right? So, th again, this is, this is all instant. Right? This is all instantaneous. And, and I did feel abused by my, my angels and my spirit guides. But they're not abusing me. It's the fact that I didn't believe in myself. I didn't trust myself. Right? Everything with Taylor was heightened and the, the pain was heightened. The disparity was heightened in this relationship. And it was all a reflection of my childhood. It was a complete reflection and reenactment of what was deeply hidden within me. My friendship with Taylor simply brought that up to the surface in a very dramatic and painful way. Honestly, it was terrible. Life was already giving, telling me these messages for years, but I didn't get that message. It's like what Oprah says about messages, if, if you recall this. It comes to you in a whisper. If you don't hear the whisper, it becomes a message. If you don't get the message, it becomes a problem. If you don't get a problem, it becomes a disaster. And if you don't get the disaster, it becomes a crisis. So messages come to us in multiple ways. And that was it for me. I reached my crisis point by breaking down twice. Wanting my life to end in the summer of 2014 because I didn't believe that I deserved any better. That I, I didn't believe that I deserved to be treated any better. I believed that I was unworthy. My life was leading me with all the whispers and messages and problems and disasters until I hit the crisis in this catfishing experience with Taylor. And I guess it needed to be this hard in order for me to pay attention right? And this was the form that it took. So it's like the universe was yelling at me in, in crisis moment just to say, would you please love yourself? Would you please look at yourself as we see you, as beautiful and whole? Ursula, will you please love yourself? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't, right? My truth was I didn't, which is why I had to experience this catfishing moment with Taylor. And I've said it, I've said this before, we are not what was done to us or said about us. We are so much more. It took me to get to this crisis level, this level of disparity to realize that Taylor was actually the gift screaming back to me. You don't have to be treated like this, Ursula. 
So one of the first things I did was I stopped my connection to spirit and the angels. I felt betrayed by them and I couldn't trust them. But really, it was I who couldn't trust myself. I didn't trust the whispered red flags I had early on. I ignored the messages that they were telling me that something wasn't feeling right. And really, what were my angels supposed to do? If I wasn't believing anything other than what Taylor was telling me, would I have believed my angels if they did tell me the truth? Hey, Ursula, guess what? She's lying to you. She's deceiving you. You don't have to be a part of this. No, of course I wouldn't have believed it. I was so caught up in her story. And the more unworthy I felt, the more I wrapped myself into her life. So they could only share with me the story that I was believing, which was Taylor's story, weaved with lies and deceit. Because because I wasn't going to hear the truth. I wasn't ready for the truth until it literally like smacked me in the face. And that was what was coming down the pipe. So when my connection to my angels and guides started to get wonky and I was in doubt, it's because it was nearing the end of my time with Taylor. The truth was about to be revealed and the truth is, none of this had anything to do with Taylor. It had all to do with me and how I felt and believed about myself. How abuse had altered my perception of myself and who I truly am. I'm not unlovable. I'm lovable. I'm not unworthy. I'm worthy. I'm not broken and need to die. I'm sad and I'm grieving. I'm not to be punished because it was never my fault. So the experience with Taylor was my greatest gift because coming from that pain, I began to really shift into my awareness. I used to have very terrible mood swings, absolutely terrible. I was in a state of great misery and depression without ever knowing or understanding it. It just happened and when it took over me, it could last days and weeks. My counselor had said that there's there's various levels of bipolar depression and I certainly had that. I wasn't manic, but I would oscillate between the different levels. But after Taylor, that had stopped. It's not like I didn't still have depression because I did, but the mood swings shifted. This was one of the one of the results after discovering the lies of Taylor. The the mood swings didn't have that aggressive turbulent side to them anymore. Now it became a lot clearer that if I was depressed, I would take a moment to look at it. I wouldn't just sink into the despair. I would look at this and go and I would call it out. And I'd let my loved ones know that I'm just in a quiet place right now and I'm just going to do some self-care. That was, that was the awareness that was starting to happen. I would look into what was depressing me and I would give it space and time to reveal itself to me and then I would talk about it if I needed to. I'd eat a pail of ice cream if I needed to. I still do that, by the way. I can't lie. I still do. I still have my pails of ice cream. Yep. And I would ask for help if I needed to. I'm so much freer from those mood swings and it collapsed when those crystal eggs broke open. When I discovered the truth of Taylor and when I became finally kinder to myself. So because you're wondering what happened after I'd found out about Taylor, well, I had first called the police to figure out what I needed to do. And because no money was exchanged, um, I didn't lose anything. Uh, this catfishing... The, there was nothing that they could do because the catfishing wasn't really about me. It was terrible, you know, they felt sympathetic for that, but I didn't lose any money. But they did tell me that I could reach out to the people that Taylor had stolen the identities from, and I did. 
So I began to do this research. Um, I kept kind of Taylor on the line. She was, you know, still doing this, like, hey, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all this stuff is happening. And I kept that tangling, you know, um, or dangling, I guess I should say, while I was doing this research when I, when I came back home. And I'd found a small network of people that Taylor used in their photos that she had created friends and family from, from these real-life women who were based in Europe as fashion bloggers. So Taylor created um, her her dead best friend out of one of these extra uh, photos. She created um, another friendship. She created a sister. She created family out of these um, out of these these fashion bloggers uh, based in Europe. And so when I had actually reached out to these ladies, I had told them what was happening and I'd given them the screenshots of what Taylor had used about them and said about them. And I kept all of our email conversations and I told them that. So they got back to me and they were actually really sweet and kind. And they're like, we're so sorry that this had happened to you. You know, this is unfortunately a very common thing, which I didn't know was common at the time. But I mean, they created shows on catfishing for Pete's sake. That's how common this was. Um, So what they told me is that they were looking into legal action and that they got their lawyers into this because they were the only ones that could pursue anything. So I saw these women post on their social media accounts, uh, calling Taylor out, and sure enough, boom, 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 Taylor shut everything down. Whatever happened legally or otherwise after that, I have no idea. But once I told Taylor this, I, I said, yep, you know, I contacted these people, I contacted the police, blah, 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 blah. You know, everything had shut down. And I wanted to be honest about it, that, you know, I caught her in this and that I was never going to communicate with her after that. So... Why does it become that Taylor was my greatest gift? Because I actually can't blame her for this. And I'm going to do an episode on the blame game. And, you know, this this is really important because I can't blame her. I can only imagine that as I was lost, that she was lost in some way too. You know, suicide was a theme to her in the in this world that she was creating. And it came up a few times. And my truth was, is that's certainly how I'd felt, you know, a couple of times. And I honestly hope that she never ventured down that path. I really don't. And in fact, you know, having that experienced, having that experience with Taylor really opened me up to being so much kinder to myself, to doing the meditations, looking at myself and doing the mirror work and, and feeling worthy, deserving, lovable. And I'm still in process of that. Like, you know, I mean, if I was suffering for that for like nearly four decades, it's going to take me more than just a few months, you know, and a few years to, to get into that place of joy. But I am grateful for that gift of Taylor. I am grateful that I had those breakdowns because it woke me up. I am grateful for what I had felt for Taylor, you know, and because of it, I am grateful for this, and I see it as a little blue box, this tiny baby blue box with a dark blue ribbon ribbon on top of it. And that's like Taylor's box to me. And and I, I wish her well. I don't wish her ill at all. I don't, you know, I don't wish that because life, her life will have experiences that will allow her to awaken just as this experience allowed me to awaken. And it really, it just didn't burst with the two black crystals. My life burst open from that. And I have to thank Taylor for that. You know, whether in spirit and whatnot, I have to thank her for that. And I do. I honestly do thank her for that. And what I wish for her 
on on the deepest level of myself is I wish her awareness, right? I wouldn't want this to happen to her, what I had gone through. I, I don't wish that for her. I don't wish that for anyone. Um, and I do hope she's doing well. I do. So in my next episode, I want to talk about the blame game, right? That experience with Taylor and, of course, the experience in my childhood certainly leaves a lot to open up and to blame and to point fingers at people. Uh-huh. And I have done that. But I've come to really understand that as much as I want to, I really can't. So I'm going to get that into the next episode. Yay! Thank you, people. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. It was good. It's all good. It's all good. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know is in immediate need of help, please contact your local authorities, distress center, or professional care provider. If you'd like more information on this episode or other topics, go to my website, UrsulaYou'reDone.com.